0: Amen, church, amen. Living under a tyrant, school system being used as a propaganda center to teach the values and philosophy of a humanistic world. The Lord God is dismissed and belittled. The right to worship God freely and publicly is taken away. Young people in droves turning away from the faith of their fathers in order to follow the new paganism that promises profit and the approval of the world. Does that sound familiar to you at all? well there's nothing new under the Sun the context is 605 BC we see in the book of Daniel this book is divided into two parts really the first six chapters are historical and they are historical in an almost shocking way we have in these chapters detail that is irrefutable and historical and it has been puzzling to those who are unbelievers and critics of the Bible how these things could be so. Then chapters 7 to the end of the book of Daniel are prophetic. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls with some manuscripts of Daniel in them have proven beyond doubt that these are indeed accurate prophecies. And Daniel will predict the rise and fall even of Alexander the Great. And it's always been a book of the Bible that the unbelievers want to dismiss because it stares you in the face and it is one of the proofs that the scripture is accurate these are prophecies in this book that cannot be denied by any honest inquirer so the book of Daniel by God's grace will get through this and um i'll let you know about all the little horns and the big ram and the little goat and all of those things but let's look first of all at the historical part of this book these first six chapters this first chapter in particular speaks of god's sovereignty in the midst of calamity now i want to read verses one and two of this first chapter of the book of daniel and then I want us to walk through this and just take some snapshots of God at work in a pagan culture. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Now, in this first chapter, if you do take a look at this and you find the word God or the word Lord in this first chapter, you will notice that God is the one who is taking action here. When we read the book of Daniel, I do not want us to put God to the side and make Daniel the one who is the hero Daniel does not shut the mouths of the lions, by the way. It is the Lord God. It is not Daniel who interprets the dreams. It's the Lord God. And when this first chapter we see that the king of Judah is going to be dethroned, it's not Nebuchadnezzar who does that. Verse 2 says, it's the Lord God who does it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. We also see that we look down through this chapter, verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And then verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill. And so on and so forth. So I want us to be very clear that this is God's book. This is not Daniel's book. The Bible is not about studying human heroes. All human heroes are fallible. They all have flaws. They all have downfalls. The one who is trustworthy and faithful and true is the God behind the heroes. Now we see the sovereign God at work in the midst of a pagan culture. We see his punishment, first of all, the punishment from our sovereign God. God's removal of a wicked kingship in verses 1 and the first part of verse 2. The Lord is the one who did this. Nebuchadnezzar, who his dad was actually the king at this point. Nebuchadnezzar soon would be the king. He comes and he has placed Jehoiakim on the throne of Judah. Jehoiakim is a vassal, vessel of, of the king of Babylon, of the Chaldeans. He, Jehoiakim, was one of the sons of Josiah. Josiah was a good king, and he had been used as an instrument of God to bring about revival in Judah, and many turned to Jesus during those days. However... Josiah's sons both of them Jehoiakim being one of them were wicked men and evil kings and God had already declared before the days of Josiah he had said I will remove Judah out of my sight because of all that King Manasseh before them had done God gives them a reprieve during the revival but he still had already declared that Judah would be swept away Judah had suffered through cycles of a few good kings and then many bad kings. And Manasseh seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And God had said, I will remove Judah out of my sight. This was somewhere between May and August of 605 BC when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and besieged Jerusalem. Now, a siege is not a nice thing. Do you know what its purpose is? Its purpose is to keep people walled up in their city until they begin to die of disease and starvation. And the Bible records how during the siege that we have women eating their own children in order to survive. That's what God was bringing upon Judah that kind of horror why because Judah had decided to go its own way Judah had decided to live for itself Judah had all the light of Christ and yet continued to serve the devil and so God had said I will not allow my name to be smeared anymore in this world And so I will send someone to take you away. Judah had comforted itself and said, God is on our side. It will never happen. God's on our side. God will protect us. But in this year we find that Nebuchadnezzar has come and besieged the city. Now, Jehoiakim had been placed on the throne by Babylon and he rebelled he decided I'm not going to do this I'm not going to follow their rules I'm not going to pay their taxes I'm not going to do those things I'm going to stand up for my rights and so he does and as a result of that he's taken away to Babylon it is important for us to know here in verse 2 that we find that the Lord is the one who did this And the word Lord there, you'll notice, is not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is Yahweh. But instead, it's capital L and then lowercase O-R-D. That means that it is the representation of the word Adonai. And Adonai is a word that means Lord, owner, sovereign, king. And God is declaring himself by name and by action to still be the sovereign God over all the events of the world. All of them. And bringing a wicked pagan king to dethrone the king of Judah is the work of God. God is the one in charge here. What is the application to us? It is simply this. The events of our world today. The events of the nations in our world today. Get this. Are orchestrated by God. Do you know who controlled the last presidential election? God did. God is able to motivate And mobilize the wicked to bring about his will. That's the lesson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar cared nothing about God. Nebuchadnezzar hated God. Nebuchadnezzar's point was to prove that his gods were greater than the God of the Bible. And God took the wickedness in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and used it to bring about the punishment and the downfall of Judah for his own glory. Too many times we fume and we fuss over who is in the White House rather than asking ourselves who put that person in the White House. It doesn't mean that as a citizen you agree. Daniel certainly didn't agree with the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel certainly did not want the invasion of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, into the land of Judah. That's not what he wanted. And if Daniel would have been given a vote, he would have voted against Nebuchadnezzar. It would have been his Christian duty to do so. But then when the outcome is brought before him, he recognizes that there's a God in heaven who is in control of all things. And human beings with their free will and democracy do not override the sovereignty of God. It is God who is the owner. It is God who is the Lord of all things. In Judah's case, God had now placed Nebuchadnezzar In the place of supreme power in the world. And he was a pagan. And God used him to do his sovereign will. We see also punishment from our sovereign God. Because we have God's removal of wayward worship. Verse 2 the second half tells us. That when the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. With some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, little G. And placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Do you see what God has done? God has allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take away the form of the worship of God. He would rather have the worship, the false worship of himself annihilated than to continue to have the half-hearted worship of those who claim to know him. God would rather have no Christianity than a warped, half-hearted, mindless Christianity that we see going on in our world today. He'd rather have nothing than to have that. God never settles for table scraps. God will have all in all, or He will have nothing at all. And we see here that He's carrying this out. He has warned Judah over and over Turn to me with all of your heart. Worship me with all of your heart. Give me all of your heart. And Judah refuses. They use God for a shield. God bless Judah. Land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her with the light from above. That's what they thought they had. They wanted to use God for their own national interests. But they did not want to give him their heart. And God has saying to them here. I would rather have the pagans in Judah. Than to have the half hearted. Mindless. Careless. Apathetic worship. That you claim to have. And so this is punishment from God. Do you know how God can destroy people? Take away their worship of him. That's all he has to do. And here he takes it away from Judah. I'd rather have the Bible in the hands of a pagan who tears its pages out than to have a Christian carry it around and not live it. That's what he's saying. Punishment from our sovereign God. But look at this. God, and His mercy, there's always preservation. He always has a remnant. He never forsakes His elect. And so you have preservation by our sovereign God in verses 3 through 16. This is the next picture now. So the first picture is, you see Nebuchadnezzar, the hordes of the pagans with filed teeth impaling people, the most ruthless army that the world has ever known, invading Judah. That's the first picture. And you turn the page and here's the next picture. We see the preservation by our sovereign God. Verse 3. The Bible says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, if you think I'm getting ready to applaud veganism you got another thing coming what people have done with this section of the Bible is crazy oh if I would have only thought I know how gullible God's people are if I would only thought to write that Daniel Plan book oh Preservation by our sovereign God. Now, what we see in verses 3 through 8 is a determined faith. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. What's going on here? You and I must be aware that the power is not in a vegan diet. That is not what's being taught here. Jews had every right to eat meat. Hamburger is on the list. Steak is on the list. They can eat it. Now they've got some things they're not supposed to eat, but it's not a vegan diet. There's nothing godly or ungodly about that. This passage does not teach us vegetarianism. This passage does not teach us that there's a God diet and a devil diet. Well, okay, the devil diet, the Brussels sprouts are in the devil's diets. I I do understand that is true. But other than that, the reason, why, why is Daniel doing this? First of all, he must have been given some insight by the Holy Spirit of God. There must have been some insight here for Daniel like this is what you need to do. Why? What's Daniel's concern? Okay, get, here's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. Nebuchadnezzar is taking the best, the cream of the crop, from Judah. He's transporting them to Babylon. And his attempt here is going to be to brainwash them. The Chinese, the communists, would call it re-education. He's going to re-educate them. And he is going to do this by lowering their defenses, giving them luxury rather than deprivation. You learn the language, it's going to go well. You learn our culture, it's going to go well. You talk like we talk, all's going to be well. You believe what we believe, all's going to be well. Now what you got to do is, you're going to have to erase this Yahweh God thing out of your vocabulary, man. That, that's that got to go. It's got to go out of your mind. And you have got to worship our gods. If you will do that, it's going to go well for you. And so they're loading Daniel and the boys with all kinds of privilege. See, these, these guys are from the nobility. They're from the upper class in Judah. And so Nebuchadnezzar is giving them all kinds of wealth. All that they want. All they could eat. And in the midst of this, Daniel is thinking to himself... I must not lose my dedication to the Lord God. What can I do? And so the Lord gives him this idea. Here's how you stand. Do not let your palate decide your piety. Don't let your belly decide your spirituality. Do not let plenty numb you To your need for the Lord God. That's what's happened to us in America. We've had so much. That we are numb to our spiritual need. We think that we have plenty. And we do not see that we're in poverty. We think we see everything. And we do not know that we're blind. Why? Because we've had so much. What we do is we just numb ourselves. With all that we got. If we're feeling a little down. What do we do? A little recreation. If we're feeling a little hungry, what do we do? Stuff ourselves to oblivion. We just, that's what we do. And when you're feeling really bad, you know what you do? Go buy a new car. That cures about everything. The smell of a new car. It's like the incense from the altar. There's nothing wrong with those actions. But what we have done is we've taken the emptiness of ourselves and we've filled it with other things. And this is what Daniel's drawing a line about. He's not trying to provoke the king. He's not marching around the protest sign. He's not, he's not asking for an additional amendment to the Constitution here. What he's just saying is, I have got to keep myself in a place of reminder of who really is the Lord. What can I control in this scenario? Now, why does God bless this? Is God saying to this passage of Scripture, you want to be healthy, eat vegetables. Is that what it's saying? You need to go on a vegan diet. If you want to really be healthy, go on a vegan diet. You know what you do when you go on a vegan diet? You get skinny and pale and your, your nose turns orange. It's not attractive. So, is that what he's saying here? That's not what he's saying. Oh, I know. Here it comes. Y'all are going to Google stuff. I I know articles are coming in my inbox and mailbox. Research has shown that, I'm going to tell you something, man. My ancestors would just absolutely eat any kind of meat. You know why it didn't bother them? Because they actually work for a living. So, yeah. Nonetheless. So... What is he doing here? Is that... No. Here's what God is doing. He's establishing Daniel. See, Daniel's the one... If you'll notice in the book of Daniel... Daniel never really takes the new name. You know what naming them is about? Naming them is about... We decide your identity. We decide that. When Julie and I went to West Africa... You're working among Muslims they tell you here's your name this is your name now why did they do that islam will decide your identity not you we'll decide what your name is that's what we'll do and so this is the same thing nebuchadnezzar and daniel never receives that you'll notice throughout this book he calls himself daniel and so what, what is he doing he's finding a way to not to prevent himself to prevent himself From embracing this re-education program to the point that he becomes like the Chaldeans, like the Babylonians. I've got to find a way to not let this encroach upon my faith in the Lord Jesus. And so that's what he's doing here. Babylon's trying to wear down his defenses by giving him plenty. And he recognizes what they're doing. And so he does the opposite. Nebuchadnezzar wanted not just the conquest of these boys land he wanted to erase the memory of the Lord from their minds and Daniel was fighting to find a way to stand against these brainwashing tactics and I want you to keep in mind something Daniel was perhaps 14 or 15 years old at this time listen to me adults especially those of your senior adults, listen to me for a moment. You grew up in a time where the values of the culture fairly well mirrored the values of the Bible. Fairly well. Not perfectly, but fairly well. The only thing you really had to deal with was your own personal sin. That's it. Our young people are growing up now in a pagan culture. This is their book. This is what they have to face. Have you been in the school system recently? It's a re-education program. It's a re-education program. Well, that's why I don't put my kids in there. That's fine. That's a a good choice. Not a bad choice. But who's going to be the Daniel and stand? Who's going to be? Where are the young people that are going to stand and say, I I don't know what all y'all are going to believe, but that's not going to be me. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm not going to be caustic. I'm not going to be abrasive. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be polite. But I'm not swallowing this. And you can't make me. I'm not going to. I'm just not going to do it. And God will establish you in their sight as his child. Now I'm going to tell you. There's pressure that goes with that. If you don't believe that, you look at the rest of the book of Daniel. There's pressure. There's a cost. Don't think for a moment that young people, don't think for a moment, if you're going through college now, you're going through state university, don't think for a moment that you don't get a reputation as a Christian and it will not affect your job opportunities now. Don't think for a moment that's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to have people that are gonna like, I just don't want to deal with this person. I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard from their professor what they're like, I don't want to deal with them. It's just too much. It's too complicated for me. I just don't want to deal with that. And so it will make a difference. But what we find here is in this passage of Scripture, Daniel is determined to express his faith in God. And as a result of that, you have the display of the faithfulness of God. God here is doing some things. He's at work, is He not? God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the word eunuch there doesn't always mean what you think it means. It has various meanings. It means a government official or someone that serves the government. Potiphar was also used uh, called this word, and he had a wife, okay, so just saying. But it's God, see, this guy's hard-hearted. He's a re He's a leader of the Nebuchadnezzar party and all of that. And God gives Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of. God can take the hardest heart and turn that heart, the heart of a wicked person, and cause that wicked person to contribute to his glory and to the blessing of his children. That's how you pray for these people. That God, that God would turn their heart and give them compassion. God is the one who gave Daniel insight about here's how you can stand against this Daniel. Why? So that God could show the Hebrews that he will yet have a prophet. Who will preserve the message of the gospel of the coming Messiah. God will not deny His promises. God will have it that the Savior will come from Judah. God will not let that go away. He may discipline Judah. He may annihilate them. He may take the king off of the throne. But He will not forsake His promise to save through the Savior. And so He has chosen Daniel. Daniel. To be that prophet in the midst of a pagan world. And God will save his elect. Now. We have punishment from our sovereign God upon nations. And we have his preservation. Of his elect. Why? Well the reason is for the praise of our sovereign God. For his praise and for his glory. Why does he do this? For his own praise and for his own glory. If there's a situation in which God would allow praise and glory to go to someone else but himself, God would be participating in idolatry. So, in every situation, God must bring praise, he must bring glory, he must bring honor to himself in order to be true to himself. It's not selfishness, it's the opposite of sinfulness. It's the opposite of idolatry. And God will not have that. He will not have rivals. Because no one compares to him. And so here he is. In verses 17 through 21. And so look at this. Why is God doing this? So look at verse 17. As for these four youths. God, God is the one. God gave them learning. And skill. In all literature and wisdom. Did, did you know this? God is involved in your education. When you're learning English lit. When you're learning chemistry. When you're learning social studies. And economics. And political science. Did you know that God is involved in that? See sometimes we think. When we open the Bible God shows up. And if we're not doing the Bible. Then God's absent. We tend to think that. But even when you are going through an education system that is humanistic and not God-centered, God is in the middle of that. If you're his follower, if you're his child, he's in the middle of that. Sometimes uh, parents will say things to me like this. Well, you know, my kid was a follower of Jesus. And then they went off to that wicked university, Ohio University. And... And they just lost their faith. No ma'am, they really didn't. Going into the pagan pool proved their faith. Where it really lies. And it never was with the Lord. The university cannot take away the faith of the elect. You're chosen in him from the foundation of the world. How could a nutty professor take that away? They can't do that. It's impossible. They may cause you to question. They may cause you to research. But you can guarantee this. At the end you'll be like Daniel. You'll stand if you really belong to him. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it's easy. But at some point in time. We have to wake up and realize. This is what we now face. So why? How is God bringing praise to himself? By elevating his chosen people. You see that? These four youths, he gives them this, this learning, skill, wisdom. But look what he does for Daniel. Daniel had that, but he also had understanding in all visions and dreams. The other three did not have that. Why? That's the gift of the prophet. And then at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them and among them all, none of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. They served the king there. Verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. What is God doing? He's elevating his children. Do you see how God works? God does not raise up his kingdom and then cause it to go headlong into battle against this kingdom. Instead, it's a lot of espionage. We infiltrate theirs. That's what we do. And we bring the light in from the inside. this is exactly what God is doing here. And sometimes we say things about Working in the world, and oh my goodness, if you're in the world of politics, it's like, how can you possibly be the kind of person that could be a person of integrity and be involved in politics? Well, it's a challenge. But it's no more a challenge now than it was in that day. Now, I want to let you know that these guys did stand for truth in the midst of politics, and it did cost them a trip to the fiery furnace, just saying. And it calls Daniel trip the lion's den, just saying. So, if you got all these Pollyanna ideas about I'm going to stand for Jesus, I just want to let you know you're going to just get ready for some smoke on your garments because it's going to happen. So, you you just have to... Now, if you don't have the nerve for it, don't get involved. But here's the thing for me. There perhaps are some of you here today... And you, if I were to say to you, listen, there's an opportunity for you to go to communist China today. And you're going to be able to meet with the same 20 college students every day for two months. All expenses paid. All you've got to do is speak English. That's all you've got to do all day. You don't even really have to teach. Just talk. Talk about anything. And you're going to build relationships with those people through that. And who knows, maybe the door will open for you to share the gospel with them. Would you be willing to do it? And some of you would consider it. But when that same challenge is put before you to be, say, a teacher in the public school or to work at Kenworth or to work at the Mead, you shrink back from it as if this is too much for God to ask of me. It's the same thing, people. It's the same task. It's you being a Daniel and walking into the lion's den and saying to them, Hey, anybody want to go on a safari? It's the same thing. There's no difference here. The difference is we don't see it that way. Here's our problem. We think American first and Christian second. That's our problem. We think like those people out there. That the first priority is Americanism and then whatever else you believe, hey, we just all learn to get along. So, you know, don't push your faith too much. Because our thing is, we're just all supposed to get along here as Americans. And so we think American first. And so we get in this kind of situation we're like, Nobody's going to tell me I can't I can't say that. Nobody's going to tell me I can't take a Bible to school. Nobody's going to tell me that. And so that's our attitude. What does Daniel do? He's just walking right in the middle of them. A little closer. A little closer. What, what's, his, what's his strategy? To get as far into the center of the wickedness as he can get. In order to bring the light of Christ to those around him. That's what he's going to do. This is what he means when he says he resolved that he would not defile himself. He's not just talking about the victuals. He's not just talking about what he's going to have for supper. He's talking about his life here in Babylon. His whole life. God will yet have a witness in Babylon. God will have the final word against the gods of Babylon. Babylon was merely God's tool to chastise Judah. But he will not allow the world to think that their gods are superior. And he will not allow it in your situation either. He is not going to allow it. But he's looking for a Daniel or two. Or Danielle. Now, praise why he elevates his people for his purpose. And then for establishing his prophet in verse 17, that last half of it I told you, that Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. That's the gift of a prophet. The other people didn't have that. But God has chosen Daniel for this office. And then verse 21, look at this. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel lives a long time. You know what Daniel does? You know how he approaches this? He just continues to live for the Lord. He does the things he always does. He reads the scripture. He prays. He lives a holy life. He doesn't allow the brainwashing of the culture to change the way he thinks. And he just kind of quietly walks through. And every once in a while, the kingdom gets in a conundrum. The king couldn't sleep. He's had a dream. And he's going to axe murder everybody that gets it wrong. Get get this. He's going to tell them. He's going to tell these magicians. Come tell me what the dream was before I tell you. And then tell me what it means. Nobody can do that. Stage set for Daniel. Here he comes. Right? Just waiting for the chance. No Belteshazzar down there. And he's having a big party and everything. Handwriting on the wall. Everybody's scared to death. Finally, his wife says, have you thought about that Daniel guy? Remember him? Bring him in here. Dan just comes in and tells him, your time's up. That's what God says. See y'all later. And so that's it. So just waiting for the opportunity. He doesn't go around shouting with the bullhorn, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus, you pagan. Turn to Jesus. That's not his approach. He's there to be light in the darkness. Wait for his opportunity. And when he does, he declares the word of the Lord. What is God doing with Daniel here in this first chapter? Why? Why this? This little test with the food. What's that about? This ability to learn. To learn to speak a different language. What's all this about? God is building Daniel's reputation as a prophet. These first six chapters. It's just about building Daniel's reputation as a prophet. And all through this book. What you find is this. Contrary to what you think a prophet does. What we find is Daniel just humbly, humbly standing his ground and showing again and again this one simple fact. There is a Lord God in heaven, and he indeed is the ruler and Lord of all. That's Daniel's complete message throughout this whole book. There is a God in heaven, and he is the Lord and ruler. Of it all. So what? Our our society is a mess. I asked that question literally of myself, really. When when I get through explaining a section of scripture, my question is, "So what?" Yay, preacher! You got us through a chapter of Daniel. We didn't think you could do it. So what? What about this? Well. I think we can agree, our society, like that day, is a mess. The culture that we live in is not neutral. It's anti-God. Like Daniel's culture, anti-God. Like Daniel's day, God has brought to power people who are insensitive to him and could care less what he says. He has done that. What should we do? Again, guard your heart for a moment. Because normally, our first response is an American one. The American response to all of this, our first impulse is activism. We will march on Washington. It just kills the grass. doesn't change anybody's heart. We will do this. We will do that. We will protest in the streets. We will mobilize a political action group. We will use our voting power to punish these people. Maybe there was a time, uh, Jerry Falwell days, that could be done. But perhaps a different perspective is needed now. Maybe we're at the place now Where we need to see God's sovereign hand at work. Maybe we need to ask some different questions. Why has God done this? We may never know the answer to that question. But we can ask why. Maybe we need to ask this question. What is he doing? What in the world? What in the name of heaven is God doing? We're nice people. God's supposed to be nice back. That's the way it works, right? But even more importantly than those things, what are we to do in the midst of this pagan culture? This godless, man-exalting, pagan culture with no moral bearings whatsoever. What are we supposed to do? Well, one... Stand against the brainwashing in your own life. Fill your mind with the word of God. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Guard the mind. You can't constantly take in all of the information of Babylon and you're going to get plenty of it you can't take that in and have nothing to fight with from within if you have not taken in the word of God and meditating on the word of God and letting the word of God be the filter through which you see everything if you're not good enough with the scripture to do that then you're going to be re-educated and perhaps you already are there's some of you that are absolutely unteachable I've talked with you several times you've got your mind made up and your mind is filled with Babylon you don't know it there are a couple of you the next time I'm just going to say uh, okay I've known you for seven years now when are you going to get ready to listen to me for a second just for a second give me 30 seconds so uh, if first impulse is we want to march we want to do something and that's great. I, I think, you know, it's, it's a, that's a great thing about American people. Pagan Americans and Christian Americans, all Americans. I think we want to do something. I think it's a great thing about our country. I love that about us. But as a Christian, your first priority is the kingdom of heaven. Your first priority is your allegiance to your king. That's your first priority. And you must not allow the nation in which you live to re-educate you to its values that are anti-God now. It's rocked you to sleep. Whenever you start feeling a little uncomfortable, they just fly the flag. Your patriotism returns. You think, oh, it's okay. It must not be that bad. And you're missing it. You're missing it. They know how to make you think their way now. So we have got to saturate ourselves with God's Word. We have to believe Him. We have to believe that if we live for Him, He is going to be praised through our life. You can't believe this. If I live for Him, He's going to make it all turn out right. I mean, I'll get my house paid off quicker and I'll have a 401k better if I live for Him. No. No. That's, that's again, laying that Americanism on top. That, push that away for a moment. That's not what we're saying. Here's what we are saying. What we're saying is that if you live for him, he will be praised through your life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? So there. Bill Wallace was a missionary from my neck of the woods. He was a doctor, a medical doctor, and opened a hospital in China. And back in those days... China began to be concerned about foreigners that were living among them. And they were afraid that these people were going to be in cahoots with the Japanese to help overthrow the country. And so they began to expel all the foreigners out of the country. Bill Wallace remained in China. Even when he had an opportunity to leave, he remained in China. And he continued to share the gospel with people and to minister to their physical needs in their hospital such as it was he was finally arrested and taken to jail no trial there was no internet in those days so nobody could even find exactly where he was and they starved him and they beat him and they told him they would let him go If he would just sign a confession and the confession was an allegiance to communism and in that confession he had to deny that God is truly God and he wouldn't do it and he died in that jail cell alone starving disease-ridden beaten now you could say to yourself he resisted the re education, and look what it got him. Yes, you can say that. Because that may be how it goes for you. I, I don't know. But here's also what I do know. That God used his life to call many, many Christians into service as international missionaries to take the gospel to the world. What's God's point? The gods of Babylon are not greater. In fact, the gods of Babylon are not gods at all. The God of evolution, the God of CRT, and the God of humanism, and the God of prosperity, and the God of immorality, all the gods that we worship, the God of sports, and all the gods that we worship that capture our hearts and make us just do anything that we have to do and rearrange our schedules, do whatever we got to do to be at the feet of these things. What God is saying to American Christians right now is, they are nothing in my sight. I am God. I am Lord. And whatever pressure I have to bring, whatever disaster I have to bring, whatever chaos, however much I have to shake you up and make you understand that this world is not your home. That you are a member of a different nation. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful and marvelous light. That's who you are. And as we have forgotten who we are, God has brought the paganism to remind us that we don't belong to them. Their gods are not our gods. We have one God. And He is Lord of all. Ladies and gentlemen, if a 14-year-old boy can stand against the re-education and brainwashing of the most powerful man in the world, surely to God, we who have been given every privilege can resist it and live humbly for our God in the midst of an ungodly world. I pray that in Jesus' name, you would be able to do that and I pray especially for our young people that are facing all kinds of a mess of this stuff now in their lives wherever they go it's it's everywhere all around them they would begin to understand some of these things I'm going to, have to push away and I'm going to have to feast on that which God provides through Jesus let's pray together father I pray for your people today lord I pray, Father, for the working of the Holy Spirit of God in a dynamic way. I pray for resolution. I pray for a determination in our lives that we would not just consume the thinking of the world around us just indiscriminately going along with its plan. But instead, Lord, We would find ways to keep ourselves from being drawn into that whole world of thinking where humans are the center, where sin is permissible, where pluralism is rampant, where tolerance is the catchword of the day. And instead, Lord, that we would be able to deny ourselves those things that pull us toward that way of thinking. And instead, fill our lives with the truth, the word of God, that we may think rightly and we may bring glory and honor to you. Lord, I pray that you would call from among us those who would be like Daniel. And that we would be able to provide the leadership. Not so much by their mouth, but by their example. Lord, I pray for our young people that you would give them that kind of courage. I pray, Father, you'd raise some up from their midst. that would be willing to go against the grain. They would be willing to reject the garbage that's being put on their plate. And instead would find themselves hungry and thirsty for the living word of God. Lord, I pray for those today who have grown up in an environment maybe that knows nothing of God or very little of Him or has wrong conceptions about Him. Lord, they've never come to know Jesus. I pray you work in their life and heart as well today. Lord, above all things, may you be glorified and honored and praised through what we do here in Jesus' name. Amen.